Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings and welcome to an update because I'm going to be spending the month of August traveling around Alberta, visiting historical sites, uh, rural historical sites, and making podcast episodes and YouTube videos. I was awarded a grant from the government to do so, and I'm really looking forward to it, but it also means a lot of work, and I would have to rush to get episodes done, and I don't want to do that, because I like putting out good quality content. So I'm going to be uh, doing that, but there will be episodes coming throughout the month of August, but they're going to be my, my best of episodes from Canadian History X. So these are going to be episodes like my Terry Fox episode, my uh, episode on Mr. Dress Up, uh, maybe the Beachcombers, just episodes that I feel are really good and uh, probably my best episodes. And uh, then at the end of August, I will be back with regular episodes. We'll be getting right back to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but if you like, you can follow me along on my journey. Just follow me on Instagram, Bairdo37. You can follow me on Twitter, Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G. B-A-I-R-D. And uh, you can also email me if you have any questions or you just want to mention a cool place that I should visit in Alberta. Just email me at craig at canadaehx.com. And like I said, I'll be back at the end of August with brand new episodes and we'll be going strong throughout the winter with regular episodes, no more breaks, and it's going to be really great. So I do appreciate all of you guys who are listening and enjoy the shows and uh, keep enjoying them and enjoy these best of episodes. All right, well, enjoy the summer and enjoy your August. I'll be back at the end of the month. That sound is something most Canadians can recognize. The sound of Terry Fox as he ran a marathon a day across the country. Within Canada, Terry Fox has emerged as an iconic part of our lore and has reached the status of almost a mythical individual. Today on the podcast, with 2020 being the 40th anniversary of the Marathon of Hope, I'm going to look at the marathon from its beginning to its end and beyond. Along the way, I'll be talking to individuals who are part of the marathon, as well as others, including those in Saskatchewan and Daryl Sittler. As with anything to do with the Marathon of Hope, we need to begin with Terry Fox. Fox was born on July 28, 1958, in Winnipeg, to Roland and Betty Fox. Within the family, Fox had an older brother named Fred, a younger brother named Daryl, and a younger sister named Judith. When Terry was eight, the family moved to Surrey, British Columbia, and then to Port Coquitlam, two years later. As a young man, Terry was known for being very competitive and committed to whatever activity he was involved in, with a strong desire to succeed. 
A gifted and enthusiastic athlete, Terry would play soccer, rugby, baseball, and basketball before taking up distance running on the suggestion of his coach, Bob McGill, in grade 8. The suggestion was made as Terry wanted to play basketball, but his coach felt he would be much more suited to running. In grade 8, Terry played one minute per game with the basketball team. Every summer, he would work on his basketball ability, and in grade 9, he was a regular player. In grade 10, he was a starter, and by grade 12, he was the school's Athlete of the Year. On November 12, 1976, following a car accident that injured his knee, Terry began to notice that his knee continued to hurt him through the basketball season, until the point when he decided he needed to go to the hospital. In March of 1977, he would be diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a cancer that starts near the knees. In an interview Terry did on April 11, 1980, three weeks prior to the start of his run, he talks about discovering that he had cancer. Well, at, at first it was a, a total shock because the, the cancer had grown and the pain had developed in my leg over about a five-month period and I had a, no idea what it was. I figured it might be a cartilage problem or something. And, and the, night I, the, day, the day after I went into the hospital, I, I learned that I had a malignant tumor and that three days later my leg was going to have to be amputated. It was a real shock at first, but... Uh, um, I took it right from the start as a challenge, and I never, I never got depressed or upset about it, and uh, I fought it right, right from the start. So, it, it was, actually, I had a, a lot of help from friends and relatives, so I never, never really got down at all. He was told that he had a 50% chance of survival with the removal of his leg below the knee and chemotherapy. Two years earlier, the rate of survival would have been 15%, but cancer research had improved the diagnosis. Learning this, he saw the importance of cancer research, which would inspire him in a few years. The night before he would go through his amputation, Terry read an article about the first amputee to complete the New York Marathon. This article would also inspire him to do the same, but in a much grander way. Three weeks after his amputation, Terry would be walking, which would progress towards golf with his father. With a strong, positive outlook, he would make a rapid recovery while also dealing with 16 months of chemotherapy. It was during this time at the British Columbia Cancer Control Agency facility that he saw fellow cancer patients suffer and die. Once his treatment ended, he decided that with his own survival tied to medical advances, he wanted to help others find courage in the face of cancer. In the summer of 1977, Rick Hansen, a legend in his own right, would invite Terry to join his wheelchair basketball team. Within two months of learning how to play the sport, Fox was a member of the team that played for the national championship in Edmonton, and he would win three national titles. Terry would then embark on a 14-month training program, which he told his family was to train for a marathon. Secretly, he had the goal of raising money for cancer research, after seeing how little money was dedicated to cancer research during his hospital stays. His goal was to run the length of Canada, hoping to increase cancer awareness. Only his best friend, Doug Allward, knew what Terry was doing. Due to his amputation, Terry was required to run in a hop-step manner that resulted in pain during his training because of the additional pressure he put on both his good leg and his stump. The training and running would lead to blisters, bone bruises, and intense pain, but he found after 20 minutes he would cross a pain threshold and his run would be easier. 
In his interview on April 11, 1980, he would relate the problems with pain on his leg from running. This is a problem that I'm I'm always going to have when I'm running. I've always had it, and I always will have it. I learned to live with it. Um, Sores come and and go from from friction from sweat, and usually in hot weather or when it rains, I get it bad too. But this is something, you know, I've I've learned to deal with it. I know it will always be there, and so I I just, I I live with it, live with it, so. In February of 1979, he found he could run a half a mile around the track. By the end of the month, he was running a mile, and he would have his prosthetic leg modified so it could withstand the impact of the running better. During that April 11, 1980 interview, Terry talked about his prosthetic leg. I've got a, a suction. My leg holds on to my stump by suction. I've got, uh, I've got, they don't build legs for running because there's only, I only know one other person in the world who runs over a mile on an above knee artificial leg. The leg I have is, is a walking leg. And I have a, when I walk, I have a foam covering over the top. Right. So what I've done in order to run is I've taken the foam covering off and I've got, in order to help bring my, my lower foot through quicker, I've got one strap that attaches from my foot just above the knee yeah. and another strap from my foot up to my waist and around my, my waist. And they help to pull my foot through quicker so that I can have a, a, a bit quicker stride. But so- even though... Even though I've got that as it is, it's still not quick enough, and I have to take a, an extra little hop with my good leg. Over the course of his training, he would run 5,083 kilometers, running every day for 101 days until he was able to run a marathon in a day. He took Christmas off because his mother had asked him to. On September 2, 1979, Terry competed in a 27-kilometer marathon in Prince George, finishing last and 10 minutes behind the closest competitor, and other participants of the marathon were at the finish line applauding his effort. It was after this marathon that he told his family about his plan to run across Canada. At first, his hope was $1 million, but eventually he decided he wanted to raise $24 million, $1 for every citizen in Canada. A month after telling his family about his decision to run, he would send a letter to the Canadian Cancer Society to announce his goal and appeal for funding. In his letter, explaining why he wanted to raise money, he related his own experience of dealing with cancer, stating, I soon realized that that would only be half my quest, for as I went through the 16 months of the physically and emotionally draining ordeal of chemotherapy, I was rudely awakened by the feelings of hopeful denial and the feelings of despair. My quest would not be a selfish one. I would not leave knowing these faces and feelings would still exist even though I would be set free from mine. Somewhere the hurting must stop, and I was determined to take myself to the limit for the cause. He would close his letter saying, We need your help. The people in cancer clinics all over the world need people who believe in miracles. I am not a dreamer. I am not saying this will initiate any kind of definite answer or cure to cancer. I believe in miracles. I have to. The Cancer Society... While somewhat skeptical of the dedication to run across Canada, agreed to support him, but did ask for a medical certificate stating he was fit to run. Doctors, while citing he had an enlarged heart, a common condition for athletes, stated they would endorse his participation if he stopped immediately if he had any heart problems. Terry would then begin sending letters to get support from companies. The Ford Motor Company would provide a camper van. Imperial Oil donated fuel and Adidas gave him running shoes. 
One aspect of sponsorship that Terry did not waver on was turning away any company that requested he endorse their products, and he refused any donation that carried conditions. On March 23, 1980, Terry would do an interview about his Marathon of Hope prior to its start. Three years ago, an athletically active Terry Fox had to have his right leg amputated because of cancer. Next month, Terry will extend that battle against cancer to begin a run from St. John's, Newfoundland to Vancouver. He took up running just over a year ago when he started with a quarter mile and now runs between 15 and 25 every day. When he talks about his running, you can't help but feel a great sense of admiration. Well, physically it's tough, but it's mainly a mental battle. It's what you do in your head, like like everything, even you know, going through the cancer treatments is all a mental deal, and going through this is entirely mental. It doesn't matter what physical problems I've got, because... You know, I've been running through shin splints and, and bone bruises and, and sores and everything like you wouldn't believe, and even the flu. And you know, I, I've only because I, mentally I've got it. You know, I'm set. I've been able to get through. And it's something that anybody could do if, if they got if they're strong enough in their mind. Along with a friend in a van driving ahead, Terry hopes to make between 20 and 25 miles a day. Also over the distance, he expects to wear out at least 10 pair of running shoes. On April 12, 1980, after months of preparation and training. Terry dipped his right leg into the Atlantic Ocean near St. John's, Newfoundland, and filled two bottles with ocean water. His best friend Doug was on hand to drive the van and cook his meals. The Marathon of Hope had begun. Interestingly enough, there was a chance that Terry would begin his journey in another province, but just prior to the start of the Marathon of Hope, they would decide to start from St. John's rather than Halifax. A news team from CBC would be there when he dipped his foot in the water of the Atlantic Ocean. This afternoon at 2.45 in St. John's Harbor, Terry Fox dipped his foot into the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. The beginning of a cross-country run. Many people have run or walked across Canada, but Fox hopes to be the first to do it with an artificial leg. He lost his right leg to cancer three years ago and decided he wasn't going to allow the loss to affect his outlook on life. To demonstrate that cancer can be beaten, and to give hope to others as well as raise money for the Cancer Society, he's convinced he can make it on one good and one artificial leg from here to Vancouver Island. Whatever you do, you got to do the, the best you can possibly do, and I'm going to I'm going to give it everything I, I possibly can. It's just going to be if, if I don't make it, it's going to be something that uh, nobody would make it. After making his way from the harbor to City Hall, Fox, wearing the mayor's cloak of office, raised the flag at the Cancer Society. And after being given greetings from the mayor for the people of British Columbia, he finally got on his way out of the city. Fox has got a supply of eight pairs of running shoes and three extra legs as well as spare parts in a van. A friend from Port Coquitlam, his hometown, is driving all the way with him. At 30 miles a day, roughly, they hope to hit the West Coast by next fall in five or six months. Shortly after, Terry did an interview as he was running, moments after he had touched the ocean. To go up this quarter mile of a hill at about a 30 degree incline. Please tell me. In order to hit the ocean, I wanted to start from the ocean, so I, I was hoping I could run from the ocean, but uh, it's pretty wild here. Yeah, it's a bit much to try to run up here. Yeah, I can, I can run up here. I can start right now. Well, all right, let's go. Why not? Do you have any idea how much you're worth on the hoof? How much you're going to raise? Yeah. I'm not sure, but I, I want to, I'd like to set a goal of a million dollars. And do you think that's attainable? Yeah, I think it's attainable if people want to help and get involved. I think it's possible. 
I'm just about on my last legs. Terry is only beginning to warm up to it. So good luck. Off you go, my lad. Okay. Thank you. Each morning, Terry would get up at dawn and run in shorts and a t-shirt with the map of Canada on it. He would run roughly 12 miles in the morning, followed by a break, and 14 miles in the afternoon. The beginning of the Marathon of Hope would come with little fanfare, but as with so much on his journey, his legend would grow from this point. Today, a statue of Terry is at the spot where he dipped his leg into the ocean. It was installed on April 12, 2012, exactly 32 years to the day that he started his journey. The Terry Fox Mile Zero Memorial Site is situated at this spot. On April 21st, Terry had reached Gambo, Newfoundland, and had completed 346 kilometers. Writing in his journal, he would say, It was an exciting day in Gambo. People came and lined up and gave me 10, 20 bucks, just like that. And that is how we knew that the run had unlimited potential. In a phone interview, Terry would talk about the increasing support he saw in Newfoundland. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How's it gone so far? You've been on the road just over a week. Well, it's gone really, really great so far. Uh, the first three days were really tough because well, one thing, our van broke down. We got snowed out on one day. And another day, the winds were so bad in my face that I couldn't move. But other than that, like I'm, get, I'm picking up, over, up to about 25 miles a day now. 25 miles a day through some pretty tough weather, and we understand the part of Newfoundland you've just crossed is the hilly part of Newfoundland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the hills have been incredible. Some of the hills have gone up. You wouldn't believe it. But I think we're, after I get by Grand Falls, I'll be getting into some flatter territory for a while. And then it's all downhill to Corner Brook, is it? <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard after, after we get to Corner Brook, I got about 50 miles of down, straight downhill to Port of Bath. So I'm looking forward to that. Terry, how has the reception been thus far through some of the little towns you've gone through? Well, the reception's been uh, really fantastic. On, on the highway, you know, um, I'd say three-quarters of the people I meet are honking and waving and, and uh, coming out and talking, and, you know, it's been really great. But one, one problem I've had is it's been uh, some, of, some of the towns don't even know I'm coming through because it, it wasn't publicized. But uh, it's been getting picking up momentum here, and, and, and now everybody knows. And... And we're in Gambo today, and today we had a fantastic reception. And we were in the fire hall, and the whole town was there. And, like, the whole town was just over about 2,500 people, I think. And we raised about $800, which is all they had in the whole cancer fund. So that kind of doubled what their, their city put out. For hockey legend Daryl Sittler, it was this time when he first noticed Terry and was immediately inspired by his story. I was up at my summer home and uh, I picked up a Toronto newspaper and on the front page was a picture of Terry and he had just dipped his leg in the Atlantic Ocean and he was going to start to run across Canada uh, uh, on one leg 26 miles a day. So when I saw that photo and read the article, it kind of grabbed my my emotions and to think that, hey, here's a guy who's lost his leg to cancer yet he's going to run 26 miles a day to try to make a difference in other people's lives and raise some money and awareness for for cancer. So that, um, uh, when he started his run through the Maritimes, he really didn't get much publicity, and I was looking from time to time to see how he was doing. And On May 6, he had reached Port of Basque, Newfoundland, a small community of 10,000 people. In that community, $10,000 would be raised, and after Terry had left, another $4,000 was raised. 
By this point, he had run 882 kilometers. Through his run across Newfoundland, Terry would raise $30,000. It was during these days in the early part of the run that Gail Harvey, who would join Terry along his run through Ontario, would first begin to follow the Marathon of Hope. The pictures, different photographers from all over the world took pictures and they were all kind of sent through a wire service to all the other, and it went out to all the other newspapers. So I was watching all these pictures of Terry Fox come over the wire, and from when he started in Newfoundland, as he went through the Atlantic provinces, and when he went through Quebec, and, and basically what I was seeing was all the same picture. It was, you know, it was fa- to me it was fascinating what he was doing, and it was really interesting, uh, but everyone was just taking a picture of him running, basically. There wasn't the huge notice, I guess, that happened when he came into Ontario. Over a week later, he was in Sheet Harbor, Nova Scotia, and had reached 1,278 kilometers of running. Terry would attend a reception with school children, and afterwards he would write, When I ran with the kids, I really burned it, just to show them how fast I could go. They were tired and puffing. It would be around this time that Terry would speak for the first time with Bill Vigors, who had started working at the Canadian Cancer Society three months previous. I was able to talk to Bill, and he related the first time he talked to Terry. I had no idea what uh, was going to happen when I first uh, was uh, asked to see if I could help. Uh, actually, it was my boss who said, there's a kid running across Canada. You want to go and see what you can do for him? So um, before I actually went and met him, um, I just basically followed him like everybody else for about three weeks. Um and also I had the inside scoop that things were not going well, uh, that he was having some disagreements with the Cancer Society over getting medical checkups. And uh, also the reception wasn't that good. So uh, I gave him a call and actually tomorrow it will be 40 days, uh, 40 years to the day that I very first spoke to him on the phone. (laughs) And he called me from a pay phone and uh, in Sheet Harbor, Nova Scotia, and we had a chat. And uh, I said, when you come to Ontario, what do you, what, what, what do you, what do you want to do? And uh, he said to me, I, I, I'd like to meet Bobby Orr, uh, Daryl Sittler. Uh, I'd like to go to a Blue Jays game, the CN Tower, and meet uh, Pierre Trudeau. And I just moved from small town Ontario to Toronto, and I'm sitting there, and I went, okay, sure. <laughs> All right, and see what we're going to do. He said, call me back tomorrow, same time, which is around 5 o'clock in the afternoon when he finished his run. And uh, the next day when he called, I was able to say, okay, uh, Sittler's on, Orr's on, the CN Tower's on, um, the Blue Jays are on, and I can't find Trudeau. Uh, <laughs> he was out of the country at the time. On May 20th, Terry had run 1,373 kilometers and reached Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. In his journal, he would write, I ran to the vocational school here with 50 students. I ran about a mile. They raised about $3,000. What a great group of kids. Too bad not everybody was doing that. It was also around this time that Daryl Fox had joined the run. Tensions could sometimes rise between Doug and Terry due to the close quarters, but Daryl would act as a buffer and help lighten the mood for both men. This news clip relates the progress Terry was making across the province. Time now to bring you up to date on Terry Fox and his run across Canada. Now, just as a reminder to those of you who may not know about Terry, he's a 21-year-old amputee who lost a leg to cancer two years ago. 
He's running across Canada to raise money for cancer research. Terry left St. John's, Newfoundland on April the 12th and spoke to us earlier this evening from Nova Scotia. He's 15 miles outside of Halifax, en route to Truro, and looking forward to being into uh, Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, by this time next week. Terry says he's fine and maintaining an average of 27 miles per day, despite some pleasant interruptions, like motorists who want to stop and talk, or even offer him a cold beer. Terry Fox on his way to Charlottetown, with his eventual goal being Vancouver sometime in late September, early October. By the next week, Terry had reached his third province, Prince Edward Island, and hit 1,728 kilometers. In Charlottetown, he would write, There were lots of people out to cheer me on and support me. Incredible. I had another dizzy spell during the run. Still freezing, but I wasn't wearing sweats so people could see my leg. I'd run just over 28 miles. Terry spoke with a reporter about the run to that point. Oh, we're starting to do better now. Today on the road in Prince Edward Island, in the 28 miles I covered today, uh, we raised over $600, just people giving me money while I was running. And in Newfoundland, when I left Newfoundland, we had raised 25000 And now I hear they're up to forty, and they've, so they've done another fifteen since I've been gone. When the money is passed to you as you're running, you can't just keep collecting it and stuffing it in your pockets. What are you doing with it? Well, my, my van, Doug Howard, my, my driver of the van, goes a mile ahead of the time. So whenever I get to the van, I just pass it on to him. Terry, have you run into any problems? Well, uh, actually, today I've been I've been very sore and tired. I got uh, some chafing problems and cysts that have developed under the skin and the artificial leg, and and uh, I've been really really sore today. And then the last two or three days, I've been I've been running into the wind, which I find really draining. But actually, I'm in really good health considering all that. Three days later, he was running through New Brunswick and reached Moncton, and approached St. John. Terry would write in his journal. We learned that St. John would have nothing organized for us. I try so hard and then get let down. I'm going to run right down the city's main street. Doug is going to follow behind and honk. We will be rebels. We will stir up noise. People will know Terry Fox ran out of his way to St. John for a reason. Soon after, he would reach Bristol, New Brunswick on June 6th, and Terry had passed 2,200 kilometers, and support was starting to increase. He would write, the first few miles were the usual torture. My foot was blistered bad, but my stump wasn't too bad. Today I had tremendous support. Everybody honked and waved. People all over looked out of their homes and stores and cheered me on. It was also around this time that Bill Vigors would meet Terry, Doug, and Daryl for the first time, which he relates here. I arrived at the motel. Uh, I was able to find their van on the Trans-Canada and the uh, roadside motel and uh, it was probably three o'clock in the morning and uh, I knew they were going to get up early so I just climbed in the back seat and covered myself with a cleaning bag and had a couple hours sleep and then the lights came on and the boys come out and uh, I climb out of the car kind of rumpled and the first thing out of Doug Allward's mouth as driver was you're the guy from the Cancer Society <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, we sat around we actually went, went back in the motel room for about 20 minutes, I brought some mail from home and some uh, cassette, uh, um, you know, albums back in those days. And we talked a little bit, and then it was out to the road. And to answer your question, I suppose it is watching him the first time running is really, I consider it my first meeting to him. Because we pull up on the uh, 
darkness on the side of this trans candidate. It's only a two-lane highway up in that section back then. And uh, Doug pulls up in the middle of nowhere, and he seems to be looking for something. And then he pulls up, and Terry steps out of the van, and there's this little white plastic, the end of a white plastic bag sticking out from the gravel. And that was his routine. Uh, at the end of every day, he would uh, bury something by the side of the road, and uh, God forbid if Doug couldn't find it, and uh, Terry had to step out of the van and step on that plastic bag. In areas where it wasn't available to do that, he would go over and touch a signpost, a telephone pole, a mailbox, so that he wanted to make sure nobody ever said he didn't run every single step of the way. Huh. And then in the darkness, uh, we let him off, we go down the mile, uh, and see him, you know, the headlights, there's hardly any traffic on the highway, really the only thing were transport trucks roaring by. And uh, he came up to the van and had a quick stop, and off he went into the darkness again, and we pull up another mile. Uh, Darrell was with us, at the, had joined the team by that time. And about the third mile, I, I said, because uh, you, you would watch him in the rearview mirror running toward you. And once in a while, you kind of catch a glimpse of him in the headlights. And, and finally, I said to Doug, I said, how do you watch him do this every day? And uh, he's a very mild-mannered man, and he simply said, I don't. And at first, I didn't get what he meant. And then after about a couple of miles, I realized it was too difficult for his friend to watch Terry uh, running with putting that much effort into it. And uh, that's what he meant by, I don't watch. And within, actually within the moment that I met him in the hotel for the very first time, and then out on the highway, within a half an hour, I had absolutely no question that this kid was going to be able to do it, and that he was the real thing. There was no two sides I found to the man. Hmm. Um, what you see in the documentaries or what he presented in public was exactly that. There was no hidden agendas. There was no ego. Uh, there was just this straight determination of running. Uh, and, and, and it was for one purpose only, and that was to raise money for cancer research. On June 7th, after passing into his fourth province, Quebec, Terry would find that many people in the province did not know what he was doing. On June 11th, he would write, The wind howled again all day, right in my face. It was very difficult constantly running into the wind. It zaps it right out of your body and head. The only people here who knew about the run are the truckers and out-of-province people. Everyone else wants to stop and give me a lift. Things would not really improve for Terry through Quebec, and a few days later he would write that the road was narrow and people were forcing him off the road. On June 15th, once he'd reached 2,663 kilometers and hit Quebec City, he would meet Gerard Cote, a four-time Boston Marathon winner. He would also be featured on the front page of the newspaper. A week later, and 300 kilometers down the road, he hit Montreal, running with Montreal Alouette's kicker Don Sweet and four wheelchair athletes. By the time he had reached Montreal, he had raised $200,000 in donations. The response in Quebec was not great, for several reasons, according to Bill Vigors. Well, um, the gentleman who was in charge of the Quebec Cancer Society, and I always stress it was not the people of the 
of Quebec, and it really wasn't that guy's fault because how was he to know how it was going to turn out? Yeah. But he had made the decision of uh, because he couldn't speak French that they weren't going to be involved. So when I left Terry at the Quebec border with New Brunswick, I said, it's not going to go well here. I said, but just get to Ontario. You get to Ontario, the whole thing is going to change. And and I knew it was going to change. Uh, in the three days that I traveled with him in New Brunswick, I saw how he affected people. So at the end of the, a concession road, there would be 10, 15 people, word of mouth. No, you know, there was no news. There was no great coverage of him at the time. But there'd be 10 or 15 people at the end of the concession and then the next concession. And then we'd stop in a town and there'd be two or 300 people. And I saw how he spoke. And I saw how he affected people. Uh, the emotion that people had when they saw him run and heard him talk. And I thought to myself, once he gets into a populated area, this thing's going to explode. And so I said to him, just, just get to Ontario and everything's going to be okay. It was also at this time that Isidore Sharp, the founder and CEO of the Four Seasons, heard about Terry. Sharp had lost his own son to cancer in 1978, and he was intrigued by Terry's run. He would offer Terry food and accommodations at all his hotels along the route. While Terry had become discouraged around this point because so few people were making donations, Sharp pledged $2 a mile and persuaded 1,000 corporations to do the same. This would help encourage Terry to continue, and to ensure he would reach Ottawa on July 1st, which would help fundraising efforts, he remained in Montreal for a few days, taking some of the only days off during his entire run. On June 28th, Terry not only passed 3,000 kilometers, but he also crossed into Ontario, and everything was about to change. As he entered into Ontario, a crowd of 200 people were waiting for him, with a band playing and thousands of balloons. At this point, the Ontario Provincial Police would provide him with an escort through the entire province. Upon the arrival in Ontario, Sittler would prepare for his own chance to meet with Terry. And what happened when he arrived at the Ontario-Quebec border, uh, I, I think it might have even been um, you know, the, the president of the, uh, the Ontario Cancer Society had met him there, and it uh, might have even been Bill Vickers. But, uh, but um, anyway, they asked Terry when he was coming through Ontario if there's anything special they could do for him to show their appreciation for what he was doing for all of us. So Terry uh, had a couple requests. He was hoping to have the opportunity to meet myself and to meet Bobby Orr. So when I got the phone call and asked if I wanted to be Terry Fox, uh, obviously I was very interested in his run and, and impressed on what he was doing and definitely wanted to meet him. The response in Ontario was something Bill would remember for many years to come. Uh, it was always, there was always a great deal of emotion. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we collected, you know, we ran down the road and, you know, people would hand us the money and we would, initially we would uh, count it out and then it kind of came to the point where you just simply handed it to the local um, cancer society volunteers. But one of the things we noticed right away was so many of the dollar bills were crumpled up into tight little balls. And at first we couldn't figure out, you know, there was so many of them. And then what I realized was that as people were watching Terry run towards them, they were holding their donation in their hand 
And as they watched him, the emotion became so strong that they started taking that dollar bill and crumpling it. A couple of days later, Terry was just outside Ottawa, and he would write in his journal, Everybody seems to have given up hope of trying. I haven't. It isn't easy, and it isn't supposed to be. But I am accomplishing something. How many people give up a lot to do something good? I'm sure we would have found a cure for cancer 20 years ago if we had really tried. By this point, Terry was beginning to see a huge amount of support from Canadians. Yeah, they got all kinds of things set up. Um, when I get to four miles away from the Governor General's building, there's all going to be, there's apparently going to be thousands of people going to be running with me. Some of the Ottawa Rough Riders, and they're going to they're going to follow me to the, the Governor General's. And then we've got other things planned during the day. And on Tuesday, I'm going to be meeting the Prime Minister. So you'll be in Ottawa on Tuesday as well? I'm coming. I'm going to run Tuesday, but I'm going to come back Tuesday night for the celebrations, on like the holiday celebrations. How have the pledges been going so far, Terry? Um, Quebec was not very good, but it's really starting to pick up. Ontario, the first two days in Ontario have been really well. They've gone really well. And I know in British Columbia, we've got 100,000 raised altogether already. And a total right now of about 300,000. You haven't run in British Columbia yet. That's yet to come, and you've already got 100,000 there. Yeah. Terry, uh, you have also a challenge from one of the major hotel chains, and uh, there could be a lot of money coming from there. Yeah, there could be. The Four Seasons Hotel are, are doing a marvelous job. They, they've pledged $2 a mile, and across Canada, on my run, that would work out to $10,600. And what they've done is they've challenged a 1,000 other companies across Canada to match what they've done, and they're putting in putting out an all-out effort in order to try and accomplish that. On Canada Day, Terry was in the nation's capital and he was given the choice of going to Parliament Hill or kicking out the opening ball of a CFL game between the Ottawa Rough Riders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And yes, they had the same name. He would kick the football in front of 16,000 screaming fans. In my interview with Bill, he looked back on that day in the stadium. So many things on the run just happened some divine hand stepped in and always helped me make the right decision or us make the right decision. And I had planned to take him to Parliament Hill. It was July the 1st. I planned to get him there on July the 1st. And we had nothing planned. I was just going to be my, you know, pushy self, or it wasn't pushy. It was just diplomacy, and this was Terry. I was just going to try and get to the front at the celebrations at Parliament Hill and say, listen, I've got Terry Fox. Can we get him on? We were standing in the lobby of the hotel, and uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody came up and said, uh, the uh, Rough Riders uh, want you to uh, do the kickoffs at the game. So I go to Terry, and I tell him, explain what I have set up or not set up at Parliament Hill. And I said, or we can do the kickoffs. And his immediate reply was, I'd rather go to a football game. <laughs> and the the... That day we showed up, he went down the basement underneath the stadium, it's in a hockey rink underneath the stadium in Ottawa, I think still is, and there's only one light in the, you know, the exit lights, and there's a very dim light, and he's trying to kick the ball, very nervous, he's afraid he's going to uh, trip or fall, and and, uh, then somebody yells, it's time, let's go, and we go up the stairs, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope they know who he is, because remember he had just come from anonymity into Ontario. And uh, this is about the third day in, if that, maybe the second day in. And 
as we are standing in the entrance under the way, the announcer starts going, ladies and gentlemen, and Terry starts walking out the field. He gets about to the player's bench, and the announcer hasn't even finished, and the whole place erupted in a standing ovation. And I can remember going, it's going to work. They know who he is. And what happened at center field was so emotional. Uh, you know, you got these giant football players, and as Jerry Organ said in, in, in the documentary, he said, I, I got my uniform on, I got my pads on, and here's this guy in his short and shoes, and said, I felt so overdressed. <laughs> and uh, I can remember that, you know, there's a couple of linemen, one of them I remember, looking, he's turned to walk away, his name was Fox. Uh, but as they were standing there and doing the uh, coin toss and about to do the kickoff, all these big giant football players were crying. <laughs> and uh, so he kicked it, he shanked it, but he didn't fall down. And uh, the next day, as we were heading off to start early in the morning, we were drive, drive past a newspaper box, and on the front page is a picture of Terry. First time. And we stop, I put some money in the box, and I take all the papers. <laughs> and Terry's very upset with me. It makes me call the newspaper the next day to admit my crime. And the newspaper guy just laughed and said, keep him. Terry would also meet with the Governor General and Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau while in Ottawa. On July 9th, as Terry ran through Pickering, Ontario, and reached 3,488 kilometers, John and Edna Neal, who waited hours to see Terry, would comment. He was just what was needed to give us a little pride in our people, the same kind Americans have in abundance. By July 10th, and as Terry reached 3,500 kilometers and arrived in Scarborough, his fame was increasing. He would tell several thousand people who gathered to see him that his fame was not meant to be of the run. And he wasn't interested in fame or wealth. He was just a guy running across the country to collect money for cancer research. Arriving in Toronto the next day, he would be greeted by thousands of people and would meet his hockey idol, Daryl Sittler of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sittler would give Terry his 1980 NHL All-Star sweater and say, I've been around athletes a long time, and I've never seen any with his courage and stamina. Daryl, in my interview with him, relates meeting Terry for the first time. They set up a meeting. Uh, he was coming through Toronto in July, and... Um... On my way down from my summer home into the city, um, where I was going to meet him down in Yorkville, I, I went over to my home in Mississauga, grabbed my all-star jersey, uh, threw in a brown paper bag, I went downtown, I had a shorts and a Terry Fox t-shirt on and uh, shoes, and he had finished 13 miles that morning, he was in the hotel room down in Yorkville, and uh, and uh, he had no idea I was coming, and I walked in and I said, hey, would you like to go for a run? <laughs> and I'll always remember that um, meeting uh, of Terry for the first time, the emotion, uh, this big smile on his face. And and uh, uh, so then we went downstairs and we, you know, the media and the press were there. Um, um, we started running down University Avenue in Toronto. It was a beautiful, sunny uh, summer day. The streets were lined with people uh, cheering him on, encouraging him. Um, and I just kind of stood back and I uh, didn't run beside him. I just thought well, this is Terry's day and, uh, and, uh, I just ran a few, uh, feet behind him and just captured the whole emotion of the moment of him arriving in Toronto. And then we went into Nathan Phillips square 
Uh, there had to be, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000 people. It was pretty full. And uh, we went up on stage, and Terry gave a little speech, and then I presented him with my All-Star jersey. So Terry would also throw out the first pitch of a baseball game between the Toronto Blue Jays and Cleveland Indians, and he would meet Bobby Orr, which Terry called the highlight of his journey. Bobby Orr would give Terry a check for $25,000. It was also in Toronto that Gail would first meet Terry, as she relates in my interview with her. First time I saw Terry run, he was running down University Avenue, and I was taking his picture. And um, then we went, he ran into City Hall. I, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of the pictures I took, but I, I have many pictures of that day at City Hall and stuff. And Bill Vigors tells a story about how I almost fell off the stage and he caught me. And, and that's how we met. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But <laughs> I'll go along with it. When, when they went into City Hall, I mean, there, there wasn't any room in City Hall. I mean, it was just cram, cram, cram. I think, I think it was unbelievable. And I think it was everything that, that they had wanted, right? Because I think that's when all the, the money started picking up. And what he wanted to do was try to raise enough money to find a cure for cancer. That's what he wanted to mm-hmm. do, so that no other kids would have to suffer. And so obviously when you know people started really paying attention, I think it, it meant a lot to him. And that's what, that's what they were doing it for. In his one day in Toronto, it is estimated that Terry raised $100,000 in donations. Terry would speak about his time in Toronto and being able to see his parents. Uh, I've been a little bit hyper, and so I haven't slept, slept that well. Well, the excitement, too, the excitement, too, of your parents joining you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and knowing that, that things are going to go really great in Toronto kind of has had me really hyper as well. Were your parents worried about you? Is that why they came out? No, well, they, I think they like to see me, and uh, knowing what's happening, and, and the fact that things are going well, and, and they, I guess they are worried about me too. Now the response in Toronto was unlike anything that Terry or Bill had seen, as Bill explains here. And then it just slowly built, that stretch between Ottawa and Toronto, there are a whole bunch of uh, small towns, you know, three, four hundred people, and after I'd met him in, in New Brunswick, I had spent uh, two weeks driving back and forth between Toronto and Ottawa, stopping all of these little towns, and all I had was a couple of Polaroid pictures. And I'd say, this guy's running across Canada with one leg, would you have a reception for him? And basically everybody said the same thing. Well, if he makes it this far, we'll do something. And I said, trust me, he's going to make it. And uh, when we got to those towns, if it was a town of 200 people, there was 500 people. And uh, it just kept on building and building and building. And then when we hit Toronto, it just basically exploded. Terry uh, 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 meets his mom and dad, and then he's kind of upset because he's not going to be able to spend time with them. So I decided to rearrange the whole schedule in Toronto. And I tell the local organizers, I said, we're going to blow off that Scarborough reception. We have to. We can't fit it in. And they said, you can't. And... Okay, I'll figure it out. So anyway, we pull up in the van to the Scarborough Civic Center. There's probably 2,000 people outside. Never at that reception. And then we're trying to get into the uh, building, and these big policemen are pushing people out of the way. And Terry grabs my arm, and he goes, Bill, Bill, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. It's okay. It's okay. And, you know, I tell him, it's all right. It's all right. Don't, you know, let, let the people, you know, so he... We walk in, we have a little, you know, five-minute reception, and then we walk into the atrium, which is probably eight stories high, with balconies all the way around. And the atrium is jammed with people, and there's people up as far as you can see. And 
and even even as we were walking in with the place and everything, Doug and Daryl and everything, we were, we were going to each other. Holy mackerel! Can you believe this? Can you believe this? And then um, I was thinking about this earlier today. We're running down University Ave. There's people on either side, you know, five, six deep. Uh, a little funny story: Daryl Sittler is running with us, and Daryl Fox's brothers running alongside by side, and Doug. And uh, when ladies or women or girls were yellow, Daryl, Daryl, of course they're yelling at Daryl Sittler. <laughs> Daryl Fox would go, if it was an older woman, he would go, that one was for you. If it was a younger, good-looking girl, he went, that one was for me. <laughs> now, Daryl was 17 at the time. Uh, but the surprise of Terry, um, when he made that turn at University Ave and uh, Queen Street and it's probably about 25 yards into uh, the um, center at Toronto City Hall, and it's jammed. And I think that was the moment I think Terry realized that this thing actually was going to work. It was bigger. It was this, probably the same reaction that I had in Ottawa. But to, for him to run into that reception and that crowd uh and, and the money by this time was pouring in. And, and I want to stress something here. That's the point where he started to feel really uncomfortable about being called things like a hero. Uh, he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he, that's where, like at Scarborough Civic Center with that big crowd, where he makes a speech and he said, I'm no different than you are. Everyone gets cancer. He said, I'm only one part of the run. And then he thanked his brother and, and Doug and the Cancer Society uh, for helping him. And he completely down wrote, downplayed what he was doing in the sense of, don't put me up on a pedestal. I'm not a hero. I'm just a regular guy. And that's why he said so many times, you can do whatever, whatever you set your mind to do, you can do it. One day while running in Ontario, he would collect $20,000 just along the highway from people standing there waiting for him. People of all walks of life did what they could to raise money. One man sat in a vat of lemon custard to raise $912, while a musician gave Terry his $500 guitar because he had no cash. As Terry's fame began to grow, the Cancer Society would schedule him for more functions and speeches and Terry would do his best to accommodate as he believed it could raise more money. It was also around this time that Bill would gain his most emotional memory of the journey with Terry. We're at a break, and there's a you know, fair number, quite a large crowd around, and this woman walks up to Terry, and I'm standing next to Terry and policeman, and, and, uh, and she goes, thank you, Terry, you're running for my son. And Terry said, oh, where is he? And she said, he, he died last week from cancer. And for me, that was, uh, I, I, I just broke down and, and I started, I walked away and I said to the policeman, um, I have to go, I'll be back in 10 minutes. And I jumped in my car and drove down the road and bought some popsicles. Um, but that was what the thing, I, one of the things that people don't realize is this, the stress of the running, uh, the heat, the snow, the wind. Um, the stump he carried so many hopes of people on his shoulders 
and the weight of that must have um, been very heavy for him. So that's an emotional memory that I have. The 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 memories I have most of Terry is not on while he's running. It was after the run in the afternoons, where what I did was I tried to make it is easy as i said to him all you have to do is the running we'll do everything else so at the end of the day he would go and make one speech and then we'd go and have dinner and it was like family um and my kids traveled with me and they were eight and nine at the time and he related to children uh because when he he, he was first diagnosed and had his operation and out here in vancouver he was put in the kids hospital so he was in the children's ward not in the adults ward because he was in between and during that time, he saw, you know, cancer and the kids fighting the cancer and, uh, and uh, you know, passing away. And his nurse told me many years later that there would be a kid there with a couple of broken legs. And Terry was far more concerned about that kid than he was concerned about his own condition. The response to Terry in Ontario was mirrored throughout the country. Craig Hemingway from Saskatchewan remembers being in school and the celebrations being held for Terry there. Well, you know, I, again, remember, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, I'd be lying if I said I remember exactly what I was feeling at that time, but I, again, for it to, for me to remember, remembering it, I, it, it had an impact, and I certainly, as a kid, you know, you're, you're old enough to, to, uh, to absorb some of that information, and so, I, you know, it obviously impacted me and, and made a, a positive uh, impression that here's somebody doing something pretty remarkable, and, and certainly the news stories captured that, and you'd see the, the, the filming of, or the footage of, of the crowds and the communities that he was visiting, and and then and then it wasn't long after that, once the you know the run uh, got going nationally, that that it, it, the schools immediately picked up on it, and so you know by by grade by grade three we began to do that. You know, I, I just I have the one vivid memory as well, and I don't know if you remember this, because uh, I haven't been able to find it, but there was an old song, and I think it was called Run, Terry, Run. And I, I can't sing it, but you know, it kind of went, Run, Terry, Run. And then there were some other words that I just do not remember. But I do remember, like in our school, them playing that song, and we would take our turns running up and down the aisles. And, and everybody brought, like, quarters and, and you know changed from home and so you would run up and you it would, you'd actually have your little cup and you could run by your classmates and they'd put money in, in the cup as part of the run and all that money uh, of course went to the terry fox run so that's kind of my first real major memory of participating in a terry fox run happened within the school to the tune of that old song that uh, i have no idea uh, where you even find it I think one of the biggest things that resonates with me and, and maybe this speaks to the longevity is because it was so genuine it wasn't done for any reason outside of here's somebody that wants to make a difference and you know i think one of my favorite uh social media posts that the terry fox foundation has done and they do a lot and and i appreciate what they do uh this one uh, sticks with me you know which speaks to our social media age and it says zero likes zero posts zero shares millions of followers and I think that says it all about the time that he did this. And yes, he got the media attention, but you know, media was a couple of uh, networks and and, uh, and newspapers and, and radio uh, back in, in 1980, right? So he wasn't doing it for fame or, or anything else. He was doing it to try and beat a horrible disease that, that is still with us, unfortunately. And so between, I think, his motivation for doing the run, 
uh, and you know, and the fact that it's a legacy thing that people want to carry on his memory, uh, and the fact that cancer is yet to be beaten, I think those three things combined make it uh, just a powerful, powerful movement. On July 14th, Terry had reached Hamilton, and he was mobbed by people after he spoke at the Royal Botanical Gardens, where he raised $4,500. While there, the 1960 Canadian marathon champion, Gord Dixon, gave him his gold medal, saying, The young fellow was running the greatest race of all. On July 28th, after reaching 4,153 kilometers and arriving in Gravenhurst, Terry would celebrate his 22nd birthday with 2,000 people at the Civic Center. He was given a new artificial limb, and the small community of 8,000 would raise $14,000. On August 4th, or thereabouts, Terry would reach the halfway point of his journey. On August 12th, near Sault Ste. Marie, a spring would snap in Terry's artificial limb. The local radio station would broadcast that the spring had broken. A welder in the community immediately got into his car and drove out to meet with Terry, fixing the spring within 90 minutes. The growing response in Ontario was something that Gail noticed immediately. I think everybody was, um, they were all really happy that it was getting the notice that it was getting in Ontario, that it probably should have gotten all across country, but, you know, it took a while for everybody to, to get with the program, I guess. Um, and I think that sometimes... It slow. He felt that sometimes not not the people. He was always like always waved to everybody, talked to people. On people, it was really something to see people just waiting for him on the side of the road. And I think he was always very moved by that. But I think some of the times when he had to make, he had to give a lot of speeches, mm-hmm. and he, he had to meet with a lot of you know chapters of the cancer society and things like that as he went through Ontario and I remember him saying that it was you know that was going to take it was taking up some of his time that he really wanted to focus on uh on running really mm-hmm. I think not that, not that he you know he was thrilled I remember him just being over the moon and kind of not believing how amazing it was he was on the covers of all these magazines and, and newspapers and stuff but I, I think that you, you know when you look at what he was doing it's hard to imagine that he did it for as long as he did. I, I, I didn't talk to too many people, but I talked to some people because I was like kind of with them, you know. Um, but often, sometimes Bill Biggers would, I had a Volkswagen Rabbit and he would drive my car and I'd be in the back with the hutch open shooting with a long lens or sometimes I'd be at the side of the road shooting them. But, so, but I did talk to people. A lot of people cried. I mean, it was remarkably moving to watch. It really was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and people were excited. And people came from all over to just meet him. People would bring their kids and, you know, drive for miles and miles and miles to just <laughs> just see him, just to get a glimpse of him. At Wawa, Ontario, Terry would reach not only 4,900 kilometers, but also the Montreal River Hill, with many saying that the hill was Goliath and Terry was David. For that part of the run, Terry would wear a shirt that said, Montreal River, here I come on the front, and I've got you beat on the back. Terry would speak with CBC and Wawa about the growing merchandise around his image, and his run, and his pledge to never endorse anything. Especially back in BC, there's been all kinds of people wanting me to endorse products, but I'm not going to do any of it. I think that it would ruin 
what I'm doing if I was doing it in order to make any money for myself. And I, the only thing I want to sponsor is, is cancer, and cancer can be beaten, not not any other product. And and uh, I hope nobody tries to use me because I won't I won't let them. Terry would earn a well-deserved day off when he reached Terrace Bay, Ontario, and met Greg Scott. Scott had lost his leg to bone cancer, and he would ride his bike behind Terry for six miles. Terry would write, It has to be the most inspirational moment I have had. At night, we had a beautiful reception in Terrace Bay. I spoke about Greg, and I couldn't hold back the emotion. This is a clip when Terry spoke about Greg. I had a goal in the beginning of a million dollars, and we've raised over a million and a half now. And all along, I'm, I'm trying to tell people that we all, if we, if we all do our part, and, and we all realize that any one of us can get cancer, and that it hits one out of every four, and one in every five die of it, that, and if we all get behind, we can, we can find a cure if we all do really try. After the operation is when I started to go through my chemotherapy and drug treatment. And I'll tell you right now, that a lot of people say I need courage and uh, guts and stamina to run across Canada on one leg. But, uh, The courage I needed to get through that was uh, way worse. Like, it was un- unreal. I'll never forget it. And uh, it a, I'm, I'm crying now because I, there's somebody here right now who is going through the same thing that I went through. Exact same thing, and he's only 10 years old. And I, I had the most inspirational uh, day of my life today. Bill remembers the day with Greg and Terry fondly. There's a, a sequence that you see in the, in the documentaries where you see Terry playing with the young Greg Scott who came up and ran with us. He was an amputee, same leg, uh, same type of cancer that Terry had. Rode his bicycle along with Terry. We went swimming that night. And it's those times when it was fun and relaxing. By this point, Terry had dealt with cysts on a stump, dizzy spells, shin splints, and an inflamed knee, but he kept going on. And then, on September 1st, 1980, after 5,373 kilometers and 143 days, Terry made the emotional decision to end his run after an intense coughing fit and chest pains. He would run a few more kilometers as crowds lined the highway, but he would ask Doug to drive him to the hospital. The next day, Terry would hold a press conference announcing that the cancer had returned and spread into his lungs. Many people came forward offering to complete the run for him, including the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he asked them not to, saying he wanted to complete it himself. Terry spoke with reporters following the announcement. Yesterday I was running, and I had noticed a little bit of hardness in breathing, and at the end, near the end of the day, 18 miles, um... I was coughing and choking and had pain in my neck and my chest. And I did three more miles and I, had to, I decided I had to go see the doctor. And it was discovered then that uh, I had primary, originally I had primary cancer in my knee three and a half years ago. And uh, that the cancer had spread. Now I've got cancer in my lungs. And... Uh, we got to go home and, tr- and try and do some more treatment. But uh, 
All I can say is that if there's any way I can get out there again and finish it, I will. Looking back on the run, Gail would remember her favorite memory from it. Something I think about a lot is, you know, when, when Bill would be, when the early mornings, like 4, 4.30, and Bill would be driving my rabbit, and uh, he'd be behind the car, and I'd have my, you know, I'd be in the back with a long lens, and just watching him run and just hearing, hearing the sound, it was kind of like a... <laughs> You know, and, mm-hmm. and you know the moon would still be in the sky. And it was very, I don't know, powerful. But I, I hear, I still hear that sound, hmm. and, and I can, you know, still, still, just can just see him going along the road. So a lot of memories, but I think that just the the remarkable feat he was doing is probably what has struck with me the, the most, and being able to see that. By this point, Terry had moved from the realm of a human interest story to hero to national icon. By the time he was forced to end the run, he had raised $1.7 million, or $5.45 million in today's funds. Realizing that the nation would see the consequences of the disease, he hoped that would lead to more generosity. A week later, CTV would organize a national telethon to support Terry and the Canadian Cancer Society. In five hours, $10.5 million was raised, including $1 million from both the Government of British Columbia and the Government of Ontario. Those two donations would be used to create a new research institute in Terry's name, and an endowment given to the Ontario Cancer Treatment and Research Foundation. Donations would continue to come in, and by April, $24 million, roughly $1 for every Canadian, had been raised and the Guinness Book of World Records would name him the top fundraiser. Terry's fame was at such a high level by the spring of 1981, people would send letters addressed to only Terry Fox, Canada, and those letters would still reach him. In September of 1980, he would be honoured with the Order of Canada, the youngest person to ever receive the honour. In an unusual move, the Governor-General flew out to British Columbia to present him with the honour personally, He was also given the Order of Dogwood, the highest honour in British Columbia. As with so much to do with Terry, the news was there to report on the honour. About 40 friends and relatives of Terry have gathered here in the Port Coquitlam Municipal Offices this afternoon. His Excellency the Governor-General, Edward Schweier, is now complimenting Terry after having given him the Order of Canada. Our young companion, our young fellow Canadian, Terry Fox, 
And it also happened to be that uh, there was at Government House that day uh, quite a nice cross-section of young Canadians from every province and the territories as well present, present there that day. And I could only imagine just by watching them uh, what kind of thoughts were going through their minds as uh, they in turn had the opportunity to meet you. But certainly, it's not just the youth of Canada. I dare say that Canadians of all ages have been at first touched and then overwhelmed uh, by this uh, epic marathon of hope, this marathon of hope as you yourself called it. And uh, the proof and evidence of that lies in the fact that uh, by nationwide television hookup, there was the kind of response that there was in fundraising for the research and the work that you so fervently hoped could take place through the auspices of the Canadian Cancer Society and Foundation. And then beyond that, I can attest personally, just uh, 48 hours ago, seeing young soldiers of the Canadian Forces base in Gagetown in New Brunswick, uh, taking part in walkathons, all in support of the uh, effort uh, that you initiated earlier this year. Daryl would also meet Terry again when the Maple Leafs played in Vancouver. When the uh, Leaf team went out to Vancouver, Terry started taking his treatments in chemo, and uh, and uh, his run had ended. Uh, invited him down to the Leaf dressing room, so he came down and met the guys. And uh, at that time, he was you know you could see the kind of the wear on him with the chemo and everything. But uh, I was always felt that I was honored and uh, privileged and and. Uh, and uh, felt so great that I had the opportunity to get to know Terry Fox on a personal level. And uh, to, to, today, I, I can honestly say his, his picture sits in my home. Um, and there's not a time I don't go by it and think, hey, this young man can do what he did in his life in such a short period of time. And, and the determination and courage that he had is is something that, uh, you know, I admired a lot about him. But I think when I, when I get out and talk about Terry Fox and, talking to you now the thing that impressed me most about terry fox was his uh his humility it wasn't about him and his ego it was about him trying to make a difference and uh so he took a you know a very difficult situation of losing his leg and 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 dealing with cancer but turned it into a positive and here we are 40 years later talking about it and i think it's the 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 uh, the run's been and i think almost 50 countries around the world and and uh, over $800 million raised. Canada wasn't done honoring Terry yet. The Canada Sports Hall of Fame established a permanent exhibit of Terry, and he was named the nation's top athlete, receiving the 1980 Lou Marsh Award. In addition, he was named the Newsmaker of the Year for 1980. Throughout the winter and spring of 1980 and 1981, Terry would receive many chemotherapy treatments, but the cancer continued to spread. Pope John Paul II would send a telegram saying he was praying for him, and experimental treatments were attempted. 
He would be admitted to the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster on June 19, 1981, and he would fall into a coma a week later and would pass away at 4.35 a.m. on June 28, 1981. Allison Simpson spoke with reporters following Terry's death. Terry has completed the last kilometer of his marathon. A short while ago, at approximately 25 to 5 BC time, he died. He died surrounded by love. The love of his family, all of whom were with him, and the love and prayers of the entire nation. He has left us a legacy of hope, which I think will live and become a part of our nation's heritage. He was a friend, and I'm going to miss him. In a move usually reserved for statesmen, the government of Canada ordered all flags across the country to be lowered to half-mast. Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau would say to the House of Commons, It occurs very rarely in life of a nation that the courageous spirit of one person unites all people in celebration of his life and in the mourning of his death. We do not think of him as one who is defeated by misfortune, but as one who inspired us with the example of the triumph of the human spirit over adversity. His funeral would be broadcast across the country and CBC would look at the national reaction to the death of a Canadian hero. I think Terry Fox was one of a kind. Well, he was a very brave boy, I must say, and I feel very, very sad about it. We feel very sorry for him. He was a very good guy. There's no one, but nobody else, in, so far as I know, in the history of Canada that's accomplished uh, just quite as much as he has. I feel very badly about that. That's all I can say. The children were in tears when we all found out. We actually got church late to listen to the radio to, to get to every part of it, you know. What did it mean to you? Oh, it touched us tremendously. We followed him from the day one when he started his race. And, uh, I mean, you know, he touched everybody's heart. You know, he's done so much. He's gone, and yet he left so much behind with him. He was a young man with a very noble cause, and his passing makes us very sad. It's very sad, very sad. And I hope they'll go for the stamp. During uh, the service, we had a special prayer for him, so uh, I'm really very sorry. There should be more like him. I just hope, I mean, not with the same, you know, sickness as he had, but more young men like him. I think it's fantastic. I just hope that he's in the, the best of spots up there. But that's not the end of the Terry Fox story. The first Terry Fox run would be held on September 13, 1981, with 300,000 people taking part, and $3.5 million being raised. This run was organized by Sharp, who had always been a supporter of Terry. The runs have continued through schools and other organizations, and since the first Terry Fox run, $750 million has been raised for cancer research and it is the largest one-day fundraiser for cancer research in the world. Since he passed, Terry has only grown in his legend in Canada. In 1999, a national survey was conducted, 
and he was named the greatest hero in Canadian history. In 2004, he placed second behind Tommy Douglas to determine the greatest Canadian. Across Canada, Terry is honoured in many different ways, which I will list here, and there are a lot. Over 30 roads and streets are named for him, including the Terry Fox Courage Highway near Thunder Bay. There are seven statues of Terry across the country, including a very large one outside Thunder Bay near the spot where he ended his run. Fourteen schools are named for Terry, as well as 14 other buildings across the country. Nine fitness trails are named for him, as well as 13 parks. Mount Terry Fox, which is in Mount Terry Fox Provincial Park, was named for him in 1981. In 1983, the Canadian Coast Guard named an icebreaker the CCGS Terry Fox. In 2012, he was inducted into the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. In 1981, Canada Post bypassed its rules of only having stamps made for people 10 years after their death when they commissioned one for Terry. Rod Stewart would write, Never Give Up on a Dream for Terry, and his 1981 album, Tonight I'm Yours, was dedicated to him, and he would call his 1981-1982 tour of Canada the Terry Fox Tour. In 1994, the Terry Fox Hall of Fame was created to honour those who made contributions that have improved the quality of life for disabled people. In 2005, the Royal Canadian Mint created a special dollar coin to honour Terry, the first time a regular circulation coin featured a Canadian. In 2008, Terry was named a National Person of Historic Significance, for which he was called an enduring icon. His mother, Betty, would be one of the eight people to carry the Olympic flag into BC Place during the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver, and the Terry Fox Award was given to athletes who embodied Terry's characteristics of determination and humility in the face of adversity. Beginning in 2015 in Manitoba, every first Monday in August would be known as Terry Fox Day, and Terry Fox is currently the front runner to be on the new Canadian $5 bill. Looking back at the legendary run, Gail remembers her brush with history. I do often say that the pictures I took of him will be what I will be remembered for, and people are always like, you know, kind of in awe when I say that I was on the run with Terry. I work as a film and television director now, and many times people found that out, look me up online or whatever, and they come up to me and, and uh, I don't know, almost just want to touch me. In a, in a weird way, you know, because mm -hmm. I was there, knew him, and what was he like, and, and um, you know, I think, I, I, again, I, I've often said that's what I'm going to be remembered for. I photographed, you know, many, many, many very, very famous people, famous actors, famous politicians uh, all over the world, uh, you know, all of Hollywood practically, and, and uh, I think that I'll be remembered for the pictures I took of Terry Fox. For Bill, he looks at the impact Terry had, and how it surprised even Terry. It is, first off, it's the, his, his driven, his devotion to finding a cure for cancer. Uh, at one point, I tried to talk him into directing some money into education about cancer. And we, when I say direct him, it's sitting outside of a restaurant on a bench one night. <laughs> and he was emphatic that it goes 100% to research. Um, but I think it's the example he set, the role model he, he is, the unselfish um, 
no ego, uh, do it for all the right reasons. Uh, he's, he's an incredible example to young people, to Canadians. Um, I think, you know, he's our, our greatest Canadian hero. Um, and he's just a kid. He was just 21, 22 on the road. And what he did resonated with, to this day, with in unbelievable ways um, of, of what we as Canadians are, I think. Um, we're friendly, uh, but we're determined. Uh, we're strong. We're seeing it right now in what's happening uh, with the, the virus. Um, I think Canada stands out in the world and, and carries an, an example of, of what a true Canadian is. And he is an example to people around the world. My, my son teaches in China. And uh, about four years ago, he got sick and uh, I had to go over there. And when I was there, he was going to take uh, 125 kids from his school um, to another city 700 miles away to participate in the uh, Terry Fox run. And my son's in the hospital and he said, I can't go, you gotta go with kids. So I get on the bullet train with 116, <laughs> 16 year old kids. <laughs> and we, we get into Guangzhou and we, you know, about midnight and into a, a hotel and at three o'clock in the morning, we gotta be up like at seven to go to the run. And these kids are running up and down the hallway, and I'm thinking, well, I'd really get some sleep. Those kids are going to be, but they were all up. But I, I, I tell you the preface of that. The run was on a golf course in Guangzhou. It was on the driving range. And we pull up, and I'm, uh, there is the, the governor of the province, uh, the head of Four Seasons there, the consular general from the Canadian government, all the top Canadian government officials, and I'm up on the top level of the driving range uh, about to make a, a speech. And I'm looking out at 8,000 Chinese kids, all in the Terry Fox t-shirts that were that year, except in Chinese. And I remember thinking, he, first off, he would never, ever believe what his run became. And, uh, and, and that brought me to tears uh, to, to, to see that and to realize the impact that Terry made on Canada and the impact he's made on, on the rest of the world. At one point, there were 64 international runs. It goes up and down. I think there's a little over 30 right now. And they're all over the world. Hmm. And a lot of them are uh, Canadian military or Canada for, or uh, Four Seasons hotels because Izzy Sharp, the owner of Four Seasons, whose son had passed away the year before Terry ran from the exact same disease, was the first corporation to come on board and support Terry. So um, I think, you know, um, I think today I've seen some when I go away to foreign country, you know, going away on holidays, the number of Terry Fox shirts I'll see on a beat is like, makes me smile. It's like <laughs> kind of neat. It's, it was the proudest moment of my life. Um, the fact that I was able to share it with my children as well, um, to meet the man, and it was fate. I, I, I often wonder many times, why me? Why was why was I the guy? 
and, and my background had been in chambers of commerce and radio. Um, I was only 33 at the time. And it was sort of serendipitous. Like it was like I was the right guy at the right time because first off, I understood him. I, he was dealing with um, older people like me now in the cancer society. <laughs> And they just weren't getting him. And I got him. I, 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 I knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. And uh, he didn't follow the rules the way he was supposed to. And I never followed the rules my entire life. Um, so it's, it's humbling, I, I guess is the right word. And an incredible honor to be part of, of something that is part of Canadian history and that I was able to help some small way. Daryl Sittler talks about the lasting impact of Terry Fox and the Marathon of Hope. Obviously, to get to this point and for it to continue on, um, he had a lot of support. And and after Terry passed away, his uh, mom and dad and his brother Daryl and his sister kind of took it, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and helped it grow. But I think everybody... Terry Fox, um, just his courage, his his uh, personality, demeanor, um, um, determination, had grabbed our heartstrings. And then the the fact that they do a run every day, every September in honor of him, it just helped continue to grow. I mean, obviously, they, they, you know, he's they've done a a movie on his life. Um, there's books out, so. It's just a a real good life story. I I, I believe from from my standpoint that Terry Fox is one of the greatest Canadians ever to do what he did in such a short period of his life. And he didn't do it for money. He didn't do it for fame. None of those things. He did it because he lost his leg to cancer, and he just believed that um, if more money and funds were raised to help the research, uh, in 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 understanding this disease and, and maybe eliminating it, then that's all he wanted. You know, he didn't want mm-hmm. other people to have to kind of go through what he was going through. So all those things resonate, resonated with uh, Canadians still do. And, uh, you know, and again, there were big corporate partners, sponsors that got involved to, to help raise the fund. So it took a, 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 a you know, a, a solid effort by a large um, group of, uh, volunteers and people across Canada to, you know, to stage these runs and uh, and continue the awareness. But his mom and dad are, you know, just down to earth, small town people. They since both passed away, but but uh, that wanted to, Terry's dream to live on, and and uh, and even Daryl, his brother today, continues to do that in honor of his in honor of Terry. So that's why it continues to resonate. Uh, I think a lot, most, uh, you know a lot of people. <clears throat> you know, most people have been touched by cancer in their lives through a relative or, you know, a friend or whatever. So, <clears throat> you know, I think um, obviously that has something to do with it too. And when somebody does have cancer, they, uh, it, uh, you know, they feel the emotion of what the disease um, means and has done to people's lives. So uh, that all is part and parcel to it all, I think, too. Possibly the greatest legacy of Terry is the fact that the survival rates of osteosarcoma have increased immensely. Most patients do not lose their limb, 
and the cure rate is up to 80% for younger people and 70% for older. Information comes from terryfox.org, CBC, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, the Telegram, and the Canadian Expat Network. I would like to thank Daryl Sittler, Gail Harvey, and Bill Vigors, along with Craig Hemingway, for talking about Terry Fox and the impact that he had on their lives. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Visit patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to give us a rating and review. You can email me any questions you have at craig at CanadaX.com, and you can visit my website and see hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to CanadaX, that's EHX.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.